0: And we have quite a few vacant seats up close to the front. I like what Brother Huntley said. He preached on Friday night, and I'll tell you, he really did a great job. He said, church is the only place that I know of where the latecomers have to sit on the front. If you're late to a ball game, you get a bad seat. If you're late for boxing, you get a bad seat. If you're late for basketball, you get a bad seat. If you're late for church, you get the best seat. <clears throat> Praise God. And everybody's saying amen. Some of you way in the back are saying that. Get up front then. <laughs> well, we'd like to have you to stand. We did have a great time at our Sunday school convention, and we were very fortunate to have it here. In Madison, it was scheduled for Fond du Lac, and because of the Elkhart races that take place up in that area, there was not one room available for any of our people in the Fox Valley area, all the way from Appleton down to Fond du Lac. So they called the last minute and changed it, of course we are very fortunate that uh, we were able to have it here. So you who had planned on going out of town, uh, you were able to just stay at your own home and come here and even go back home for lunch if you wanted to. Take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians 11. There is a subject that the Apostle Paul talks about that is extremely controversial in the Christian ranks. It has to do with... uh, the question about hair concerning men and women. Now, I'm going to read some scriptures here. Now, I'm not going to be talking about this subject directly. But there are a few things that I want to say about it. Because you can't read it and just let it go. And then I'm going to go with one other. Actually, I'm taking my text from 1 Corinthians 11, 14. And I will read that scripture to start with. And then we will back up and read the other. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians eleven fourteen. 14, "...that not even nature itself teach you, that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him." And the word shame that's found here, if you look at it in its Greek original meaning, is the equivalent of sin. Now, sin brings shame... The opposite of pride is not humility, but it's shame, because it, it brings about a guilty conscience. Now I want to read this, and then uh, we will uh, talk about First Corinthians 11:14, not about the length of a man's hair. That's not what I want to discuss this morning, but uh, one little nugget of divine truth found in this that is so beneficial. 1 Corinthians 11, one, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of, of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonours her head, for that is even all one, as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, forasmuch as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man." For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither is the woman without the man in the Lord. Whereas the woman is of the man, even so the man also is by the woman, but all things of God. Judge in yourself, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? That not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him. But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. Verse 16, but if any, seem, if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. Now you may be seated. This is a, a passage of scripture that has been debated through the years. In Christian ranks. Now my whole point in reading this. Is that the Apostle Paul is making a strong appeal. To the Corinthian church. uh, Concerning the separation of the sexes. I think this is something that is extremely important. And what he does. He he is saying that. That uh, the separation of the sexes. Is just a natural thing. That when God made a man, made a man a certain way. When he made a woman, he made a woman a certain way. Now, throughout the scripture, you'll find one of the strongest teachings, uh, and this is something that seemingly has stuck in the mind of God. He keeps going over it. It's the separation of the sexes. Of course, we're living in a day in which the separation of the sexes is... uh, it, it, it's kind of a, what should I say, it's, it's an accepted thing for uh, the unisex-minded uh, uh, people to uh, go ahead and teach their doctrine, preach their doctrine, and so as a result, the, the whole role of the man and the whole role of the woman is being destroyed. And we're asking, what's wrong in our American homes that's that's what we're asking. What uh, what what is wrong? Why can't we have the good old fashioned family values and this value system that we've had in the past? And it, it starts right here in this. Now, let me just uh, just say something. If you turn with me to uh, Revelation nine seven, before I get into First uh, Corinthians eleven fourteen, I'll just, uh, I just I want to read one passage of scripture. And you will find that, that devils from hell are loosed upon the planet earth during the tribulation period. Uh, this is what the scripture tells us. And they're loosed upon the earth. And the Bible says that they have power like the power of scorpions. And of course they will be able to sting and not kill. But that their sting will last for a period of five months. Uh, If you will look in verse 7, the Bible says, "...and the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle, and on their head were as uh, it were crowns like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men. And they had hair like the hair of women." Now, the reason why that I have called your attention to this, because it is not by accident that all of a sudden, uh, especially here in America, and in some of the uh, the uh, what should I say the the more democratic nations, that all of a sudden, with this uh, devilish unleashing from hell upon the human race, that all of a sudden uh, men started wanting to look like women, and women started wanting to look wanted to look like men. Oh, I didn't say that right, did? Women started dressing and acting like men, and men started dressing and acting like women. Now, so much for that. Case dismissed. I just thought I'd just give you that information. (laughs) You may say, well, you actually think that, that men ought to have short hair? Well, I guess they should if the Bible says should women have long hair? I guess they should, if the Bible says. And uh, I said case dismissed. Maybe I should just drop it. Okay. 1 Corinthians 11, 14. All right. Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? Even when the Apostle Paul in, first, in, in Romans 1 talks about uh, homosexuality, he makes a strong appeal to that which is natural for a man. He said it is only natural that a man seek a woman and a woman seek a man because that's the way God made them. And he said the problem, however, is that when this reprobate mind, when, when people give themselves to the devil, that what happens is that men seek men and women seek women. And you may say, are you saying, Pastor, if you're a guest ours?" you may say, are you saying that you believe that homosexuality is wrong? I don't really think it's wrong. I think it's damnable. I think it's corrupt. And the cure for AIDS is very, very simple, and that is just stay out of the bed with everybody else and live according to the Bible, and AIDS would be cured. I'll give myself a hand on that. I mean, I'm right on that. I know I'm right on that. Now, I know you may say, well, do you believe that AIDS is a judgment of God? I think without even dealing with that, I can say this, that regardless of whether it is or whether it is not, the homosexual community is killing itself and blaming everybody else. And you don't have to be too smart to figure that out. All right. Praise God. I'm doing great here today, Pastor Grant. I'm off to a good start. <clears throat> now, does not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? I'm not here to talk about long hair this morning. I just, I could not read this without uh, giving you a brief explanation. All right? Now, what, what I want to talk about is that does not even nature itself teach you that there are so many things in life. As, I, as we relate to God, that it's, it's just a natural thing. I mean, it's just a natural thing. Now, the University of Wisconsin had a, uh, a ball game yesterday, and uh, I did not uh, hear one single play of that on the radio. Uh, I, neither did I see it on the TV, but I did hear on the radio later that uh, they had won 56 to nothing. All right. <clears throat> And somebody asked me, are you happy that they won? Well, being you have to win or lose, I'm happy that they won. Okay. <clears throat> I don't want you to think that I am so spiritual, I don't know what's happening on the planet Earth. That's not it. In fact, uh, I was uh, definitely hoping they would win. And I hope they win every game this year. But uh, what my, my point of it is that, that uh, I turned on the radio after Sunday school convention was over, and we had gone home. It was like 5 o'clock. They were still having the post-game show on the radio, and they were talking. And would you believe that as soon as I turned it on, I began to listen for the score. I wanted to find out, you know, you go from station to station, they're having this, you know, here in Madison. And, and they're talking about this ball game. Now, I listened to that radio a good 20 minutes before they ever told me the score. And I never heard anybody say they had won. But I told my wife, I said, they won and they won big today. And she said, why? I said, I can tell by the tone of their voices. Because there's something about us, it's a natural thing that when we're winners, that we're exuberant and we're excited. And I could just tell by the tone of their voices. And I listened and I, listened, I said, they won and they won big today. Well, they didn't, they're not given the score. I said, I know that, but I can just tell. And they were talking about this play and that play, and then they talked about Eastern Michigan, and, and uh, I, I, I just knew they had won. And finally, uh, they broke in for, for local news, separate and apart from, from football, and they, they gave the score. So I, I turned the radio off at that point. I didn't listen anymore, but, but I will say this that I could tell by the tone of their voices. I didn't know how much they'd won by, but I felt they'd won big, or at least it was an exciting game, because of just the the, the conversation and how it was going. You know, regardless of what we want to say, uh, we, you know, man was made in the image and the likeness of God. He was created in the image and likeness of God. and And... Regardless of what we say about man and his fallen nature, that uh, there's just something about the general makeup of man. When when things are going well, he has a way of letting everybody know it. There's some of you that are so transparent, and when you walk in the front door, I can tell if you had a good day or not. And some of you are so transparent, if you came in the front door and you had a bad day, I can tell that too. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> it, it, it's just that way. The body, basically, even though man has given himself to sin, David said, I was born in sin and shape and iniquity, that the body basically was made to be pure and clean and wholesome. And we enjoy victory. We really do enjoy that. Uh, uh, the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 3, I'd like to just read a part of this. I read this last Thursday night, but uh, this, this is a different subject. But 1 Corinthians three sixteen. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, Him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Any time that the body is used for its purpose, there will be great victory and great glory, and you will feel so, so good about it. Now, even though we're born in sin and iniquity, and let's just talk about that a little bit, and then I'll go back to, uh, man is born in sin, and he's shaping iniquity. You do not have to teach children how to lie. You know, if you you don't have to do that. They they can lie before they get big enough to talk. Uh, you can the, the, the child will do something. You know, one of the one of the best words that you can teach your child when your child is just an infant is is no. They seem to understand that. If you'll, if you'll watch children even play, and when they can't talk, they'll, they'll say no to each other. Say no when things are not going good. They, they know that. Of course, uh, you should also teach them not only uh, what is wrong, but what is right, what wins your approval. Uh, you can communicate to your child. But for the most part, uh, children, they, they, uh, they learn how to lie. And uh, they they continue to do this until uh, such a period of time that the parents kind of team up on them. We have found even here at the Christian school, we tell the parents, especially the parents who have younger children in, in the school, when the child comes home and tells his version of his problem, don't believe it. Don't believe it. The book of Proverbs tells us that you should never judge a matter until you search the truth out. Uh, As contrary to what you want to think, uh, your child is susceptible to misrepresenting the truth. We all know how to protect ourselves. Even as adults, when things don't don't go right, we, we have a tendency to just throw up our hands and say, Wait a minute. And we have already figured out or justified in our minds why the behavior, even though we are shameful of it, why that behavior was correct. We we, we tend to, to uh, guard ourselves. Then you don't have to teach children how to steal. They start out by stealing toys from each other. They declare that that's theirs. Uh, if you ask them, did, did you take this from... From uh, Susie? No, I didn't. As if Susie voluntarily gave it up. So one of the, the first responsibilities of a parent is to teach the child to share so the child won't be greedy. And then, of course, to teach the child don't steal because that's a sign of greed also. So you take and you share whatever you have. Another thing that you don't have to teach children how to do, and that's how to be rebellious. You don't have to teach them that. They just they just picked that up. Uh, I've seen children who could hardly talk. They'd pout. If something happened they didn't like, they'd turn their head. I've actually seen fathers catch their children's head and turn them around, saying, Now, you're going to look at me. The child was such an infant. You think, Now, that child does not know what this parent is saying oh maybe he doesn't but i'll tell you one thing he he picks up all the vibrations the adversity in that relationship he picks it up but he doesn't want to look i remember some years ago brother and sister washburn gave gave us a little little poodle and uh, so we brought this uh, little poodle home just a chocolate color just a beautiful little dog and uh, it got long hair, you know, and they, they clipped these poodles. So, Sister Grant wanted to take the poodle and have it clipped, and I said, Well, I'll tell you what, I, I'd like to take and clip it myself. And she said, All oh, you think? So, she went and she went to the pet store and she got the book on how these different clips are supposed to be. Well, <clears throat> I decided that Coco was her, her name, I decided that Coco needed a, a, a close clip. I said, I, you know, I like that close look. So so Coco was all about this big around and about this long. When I finished with her, she was about this big around, seriously, <clears throat> considerably shorter. And I had really clipped her. Now, the, <laughs> this is the truth. I'm serious with you. Would you believe that when I put that dog down, now that dog didn't have a mirror to look in. You got to understand that dog did not have a mirror to look in, unless my wife took her to the mirror. To this day, I don't think she looked in a mirror, but she knew for some reason that she wasn't like she. And you know, I would pick that dog up, and and that dog would turn its head. My wife would even take pick up the dog, and when she come into my presence, that dog would turn it, it. She would not look at me. She honestly, she would not look at me. I'd take her little head and turn it, and you know what she do? She'd close her eyes. She's not going to look at me. She was upset because I clipped her. Isn't that something? And, and, and children that way. You, you do not teach them. You do not have to teach them to be rebellious. And I'm not saying that altogether was a rebellious act, and I'm not saying everything that your child would do. As far as a, a turnoff is concerned, is rebellion. But but you see that also in children. And you can correct a child before the child knows how to talk, and the child wants to go to who to mom. And and later on, if you try to go get the child, no, the mom's going to keep the child. She'd, you know, she no, nope, she's not going to come. And so you play with the child for a while and get the child's mood a little bit. Uh, uh, changed, and, and then then what do you do? You reach out with your hands and say, now come on to Dad. And, and the child, oh, he almost did. Let's do it again. And you try to change the mood of that child. Now, basically what I'm saying is that we all have an emotional structure. And this structure came out of God. And even though there are times in which it works to our disadvantage, for the most part, the human body and all the facets of the human body, for the most part, uh, they, they lend toward a life of integrity, a life of holiness, a life of cleanliness. Uh, I, I think an example of that. Did you know almost everything that's really harmful to your body, that when you first become a partaker of it, Your body has a way of just expelling it. Uh, I remember I was in junior high, late junior high, going into high school, and I went to a movie theater with some boys, and they had some beer. Now, they tried to get me to drink some. I would not drink any. Several of the kids wouldn't at the first first time they had the beer. But I remember one boy, uh, particularly, who was a very close friend of mine, that he was going to try... Uh, beer. So he drank one can of beer, and he got as sick as a dog. I mean, he was sick. I'm telling you, uh, Gaines Dickerson uh, was his name. His dad was a political. Uh, I, I don't remember now what office he held, but he was he was in politics. Gaines and I were very close friends. We spent nights together uh, over at each other's house. We just. We just had a great relationship. Uh, Gaines got so sick that night, he went outside of the theater and vomited. I mean, he vomited and he vomited. And I mean, he lost all that beer and everything else that he had, had taken in. Now, Gaines, though, decided that, that this was the thing he wanted to do. And so he'd drink another beer later. Not that night, but next time we were out, he drank another one. He got sick. Uh don't recall just what happened, but I do know two or three days later, or two or three weeks later, rather, Games consumed about six beers, and he got so drunk, and he got so sick. I'm here to tell you he was just sick. Then, uh, well, later on, Games would... Uh, would brag about drinking a, a case, 24 cans of beer, he did every week. Of course, uh, he became a star football player. He's a big tall guy, he was about six foot six. He weighed about three hundred and ten pounds. I remember one time playing in a scrimmage, and he fell on my head, kind of a glancing blow, and my football helmet came off. So if it hadn't have come off, I don't know what would have happened, but it came off, and of course Gaines hit me at an angle and fell on top of my football helmet, and it took me and four guys uh, to pull that thing apart. I mean, he just, he didn't break it, but we had the the metal face guard and everything, and it just bent that down. I mean, this guy was huge and massive. One night, however, at, at a movie theater, he got drunk. Uh, his dad... had a little money and bought him a new Oldsmobile and Gaines Dickerson out on the Tyler Highway going out from our house toward nearby city, Tyler, Texas. Gaines opened that car up in a drunken condition, uh, went off the highway, hit a culvert, and was killed instantly. This just tells you what, uh, what sin can actually do. But uh, the point that I want to stress is that, that there was something in Gaines that, that when he first took his drink that said, you shouldn't be drinking this stuff. It's just not good for you. I remember they had some cigarettes one night, and they wanted everybody to smoke, and I smoked one. I got so dizzy, I thought I was die. Man, I thought, now all these people walking around smoking these cigarettes we must have a lot of dizzy heads in the world. You know, you see if people ever place smoking. Well, <clears throat> I found out that that if you continue to smoke, just like if you continue to drink beer, what happens? The body then readapts or changes itself to compensate for this poisonous sustenance that's going into your system or substance. That's exactly what happens. So... I never did smoke much until uh, just a cigarette or so till I left home. But uh, after I was married, uh, for some reason, I don't know, I just decided that smoking was a thing to do, and I got hooked on cigarettes. Let me tell you something. I had a hard time quitting. I had developed a stomach ulcer. I was dying with the stomach ulcer. I had lost so much weight. And I tried everything in the world. I just couldn't. Because when the body readjusts and 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 takes this on, that's that's what a habit is, an addiction. Then when I tried my best to withdraw from that, because the body had readjusted, guess what happened? I, I had very very similar feelings to what I had when I, the body was adjusting to take it. Now. <clears throat> I have not smoked a cigarette since nineteen sixty one. I don't know what would happen if somebody brought a cigar up here. I smoked a lot of cigars. In my day if you brought a cigar up here and required me to smoke it. Of course there's no way you'd get me to, but I'm saying if, if somehow I would, I'd probably die. They'd just probably kill me on the spot. The reason why is because I, I go in some places where people are smoking cigarettes or a pipe. And it it makes makes me sick. I mean, I cannot stand it. Oh, God, I cannot stand this. Now, I said all that to say that, you know, man is made up of body, soul, and spirit. And someplace inside of a man, he also has his emotional makeup. Now, I personally feel that the emotion, uh, the emotions, that the soul of man is the seat of his emotions. I, I believe that. Jesus, when Jesus cried in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, now is my soul troubled within me. It seems to, to me in, in my study of the scripture that, that uh, this, the soul is the seat of, of our emotional makeup. And, and, and the thing about it is when, when we as Pentecostals worship the Lord, we have been accused of being highly emotional. Now, you know the thing about it, you can't take emotion out of religion. I don't care how much anybody says. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What is an emotion? An emotion is a strong agitation of the mind. Something that gets a hold of you, locks you in, and causes uh, either some erratic behavior or behavioral change. So as a result, uh, uh Jesus Christ uh, was so moved with compassion for a lost and a dying world that he allowed himself to go to the cross. Now, they did not take his life. The Bible says he gave his life. Now, see, there, there's a difference. He gave his life. In other words, because he loved, his love for man was greater than his hate for sin. And he became sin for us that we might be saved. And it was his emotions that, that pushed him to the cross. And, and, and you, you, you see this in, a, in an everyday, uh, let's say, an individual. We, let's go back to the ball game. Yeah. I have known of people that would just be sick, sick, sick. I mean, all the way sick. And yet uh, their love for the ball game would push them to go out in very adverse weather, sometimes cold, rain, damp, whatever, and go there and sit there and, and watch a ball game. I've seen that. Now, <clears throat> what I have done, I have tried my best just to point out a few things about about man. And I want to talk about how this relates to, to God. You know, there is no doctrine in the Bible that regulates how a man is to worship his God. Now, there are examples in the Bible, but theres we're supposed to love the Lord with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our spirit. This is the first and the greatest of all commandments. But there is no doctrine in the Bible that tells us how we ought to worship. In other words, we get in here this morning, and we start, what, what do we start doing? Clapping our hands... People are lifting their hands. There's no doctrine in the Bible that says you have to do that. But we do find, by example, where people did that. And you will find this out from the very beginning of man in the Garden of Eden, down through the day of Pentecost, all through the book of Acts, which is the history of the church, and then when we pass the church age, which uh, we're living in now, and we go into eternity... We find that man, in the presence of God, has always, in a very exuberant way, he has worshipped God, he has clapped his hands, he's lifted his hands, he's played instruments, he's sang with a loud voice, he's leaped, he's jumped, he's run, he's danced. You will find that. Why? Because this is a natural thing. I mean, it's just a natural thing. Now, you know, if you go to your child and your child has done something that's wrong and, and, and perhaps maybe you go in and, and, and all that has happened is that in the child's script, now we're talking about a child that cannot talk, a child that can only coo and, and such. And, and you look at your child and the child has torn something up, maybe a little booklet or something. And all you have to do is just lower your eyebrows a little bit and look at that child and say, what have you done? And immediately, guess what the child will do? Lower his eyebrows. He realizes he's picking up something from you. Things are not right. Now, you don't have to teach your child. Now, look, when things are not right, you're supposed to pucker your lip now. And we're going to teach you how to pucker and we're going to teach you how to cry. I mean, you don't have to do that. See? The child just knows how to do that. And yet, on the other hand, when you walk in there, and even if the same situation were true, the same scenario, in other words, the book's all torn up, the pages are on the floor, and you walk in there with another gift, and, and you're so excited about giving the child the gift, separate and apart from what the child's done wrong, if you walk in there and you may say, Oh, I, Dad has something for you. Just what Dad has in the sack you think the child's going to pucker up about what he's done that's wrong? No, he's not going to do that. You know what he's going to do? He's going to become curious right away. You want to see what's in the sack? Dad has his hand in the sack. I've got something in here. And all of a sudden, you pull out this little teddy bear that has a collar on it with all these little bells. And you you shake those little bells. And you say, this is for you, son. And guess what the child's going to do? You don't have to tell your child, now look, when you're happy, you raise your eyebrows and you put a smile on. You don't have to do that. You, know? you don't have to say, now it's time to laugh. Neither do you when the child is crawling and maybe touches a radiator in the house and burns his finger. You don't have to go up and say, now look, when there is pain, you should be sad. And when you are sad, you are supposed to cry. You know, you don't have to do that. And for this reason, when people are very, very sincere about their worship with God, nobody really has to teach them much about how to worship, separate and apart from knowing what the Scripture says. It is just a a response that comes from the man, from the individual. I walked in the hospital upon a neighbor's request to pray for a lady. When I walked in the hospital, the lady was crying. I walked over and I began to, I just lay hands on her and started praying for her. This lady lifted her hands. She was in a weakened condition. She lifted her hands. She began to worship the Lord. I thought within any moment, this lady it will begin to speak with tongues. I mean, she, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. I love you, God. I worship you, God. I thank you, God, for bringing me through this operation. She was just worshiping God. I prayed with her for some time. Then whenever I stopped praying for her, I thought, now surely this lady goes to a Pentecostal church someplace. Surely she's acquainted with our way of worship. Then when I introduced myself and I told her what church that I pastored, that this was a United Pentecostal church, she seemed a little puzzled. I asked her, I said, surely you've heard of Pentecost? She says, no, I don't think I ever have in my life. I said, well, <clears throat> I said I was just simply going by the way you worship. She says, oh, she said, uh, please. She said, I had never done this before. And I said, well, why were you doing it today? She said, well, uh, they, I had cancer. She had a brain tumor. They had removed it. They told her that they had most of the tumor out. And uh, she was near death when she went in. And she said, i just tell you the truth. She said, I, I'm so excited I, I can't contain myself. And I, she said, I, I, I owe it all to Jesus. That's why I'm worshiping the way I'm worshiping. She began to apologize somewhat. I said, oh, you don't have to apologize to me because I was doing the same thing. She said, well, I've never done this before. And then she told me where she went to church, and I understood that. that no. You know, she goes to one of those high steeple, few people, refrigerator churches, where people don't. You know, should have been God's chosen people, God's frozen people. You follow what I'm saying? Where you know that you, you don't you don't, even, you don't crack a smile. Uh, you don't. You know, if you sing, you don't sing very loud. If anything that verse has happened, to you, you don't show that. If one of your relatives pass away, it's 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 almost a disgrace for you to show emotion. You follow what I'm saying? and so you, But you have to school people against showing emotion in the house of God. And some churches for centuries have done this. They have done that. And so as a result, guess what's happened? That, that their emotional system and makeup has drastically changed in that area. Now they can go to the ball games and tear the goalposts down. But they can't come in the house of God and show any excitement in their worship to the Lord. They just simply cannot do that. You know, when David was bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, the Bible says, and David was the king of Israel. The Bible says that David danced in the streets. Now his wife saw him doing this and she, oh, I mean, I mean, She was embarrassed. And, and when when he got along with her, guess what she did? I mean, she scolded him. She rebuked him. Said, you are the king of Israel to think that you were out there in the streets pitching a fit like you were pitching. What in the world's wrong with you? You know what the Bible says the Lord did? The Lord cursed that woman and closed up her womb so that she would never have an offspring. It was like God was saying, I want no one under her influence in the household of David. I want nobody like this. Do you think when Jesus made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem that those, all those people were disciples of the Lord and they had been taught how to pull off their cloaks, how to pull off their coats and put them in his path and cry Hosanna unto him? Absolutely not. It was, they were just so happy that Jesus had returned to their city. Why? Because He had healed so many of them. He had fed them when they were hungry. He ministered to them in the streets. He forgave their sins. He healed their wretched bodies. And when He made His return back to Jerusalem, nobody had to get the group together and say, Jesus is coming. Now we want to organize a party, and here's what we're going to do. When he walks in, we're going to strip the leaves off the trees and put them in the paths and all of you to pull off your coats and put them down there and you're going to stand on the sidelines and clap and lift your hands and say, Hosanna. No, they didn't have to do that. Neither does anybody have to stand behind this pulpit when Jesus comes to this church and you come in. Why? Because he has healed so many of you. He has saved you from your sin. He has lifted you out of despair. He's healed your broken hearts. He's touched you. And it's only natural that I stand behind this pulpit. A young man of 21 years of age dying with a stomach ulcer in a very pitiful condition. It's only natural that I stand behind this pulpit and lift my my hands and worship God. Let me tell you, when the Lord filled me with the Holy Ghost, April 15, 1961, nobody had to come up to John Grant and say, now you're healed now, and when you're healed, you're supposed to be happy. And when you're happy, you know what you do? You clap your hands. In fact, if you're real happy, all you have to do is jump and leap. And no, absolutely not. The man who was praying with me when I received the Holy Ghost, six months before that, I couldn't stand him. I went down to the altar one time, his breath was so bad, I said, oh, my. I told my mother. She said, son, how come you're not going to the altar? I said, as long as Ralph Allred uh, is praying for me, if he doesn't get a toothbrush, I'll never go back down there. You know, that's just the way I felt about it. But let me tell you something. When I got sick enough, bad breath or whatever, I was, in, I was hungry for God. I wanted God. And when Ralph Allred, when I received the Holy Ghost, guess who was praying for me? Ralph Allred was praying for me. And he became the most beautiful sight on this planet Earth. I picked him up and danced with him. I loved him so much. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Let's just take a little time out and lift our hands and worship God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> the Pharisees one time saw a group of people crying out and worshiping God with a loud voice, and they came to Jesus' name and made an appeal. They said, cause these people to stop all of their commotion. Jesus said, very soberly looked at them and said, If I cause them to stop worshiping me, the stones will cry out as children unto Abraham. In other words, to school them to do something that nature has taught them to do. Because it was God that put that nature in them. To stop them from adoring, to stop them from worshiping, to stop them from clapping, to stop them from lifting their hands, to stop those people from expressing themselves to their God, in sincere thanksgiving. Jesus says, I will not do it. Don't call on me to do that. We will not reschool them. We will not reprogram them. We will not reschedule that which God has put inside of them. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. And every now and then, truthfully, I, I see people worshiping here, at Calvary Gospel Church in a way in which I, I do not worship and have never worshipped. But I know if they're sincere and their heart is right with God, who am I? Now, I? I think that as a pastor it is not only my right but it's my responsibility to stop people from doing anything that's, that's contrary to the word of God. But to see people who are expressing their sincere appreciation, whether it be in running, whether it be in singing, whether it be in hand clapping, whether it be in dancing of the Spirit, if they're doing this unto their God as sincere appreciation to what God has done, who am I to try to reprogram them? And I'll just put this in because I do know of pastors that have stood behind the pulpit and reprogrammed people to the point. That they could not express themselves openly and freely to God, and consequently, guess what happened? No sinners were ever converted. No sinners were ever converted. If somebody comes up and tells you, hey, I understand you're very emotional over Calvary Gospel Church, just square your shoulders and say, yes, we are. Thank the Lord our pastor and our people love to see people worship God <clears throat> why because we have a hero he's done more than made a touchdown he's done more than 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 kicked a field goal he's done more than 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 scored on 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 the, on the basketball floor he he he's done he's done more than all of this He's taken my wretched, sinful soul that was dying and doomed for a burning hell and He's put me on the solid rock and given me hope of eternal life and glory in heaven to walk on streets of gold, to be in His presence forever. I've got more to sing about than the UW choir. I've got more to play about than the UW band. I've got more to I've got more to dance about than anybody in the football stadium. And God gave it to me. The Lord being my helper to my dying day, I want to express my sincere thanks and appreciation to God in the way in which God has put me together. Now I know what I could do. I could get my eyes on you and think about what you were thinking about me while I was worshiping, and I can reprogram myself. Wouldn't feel comfortable at first. You know, it works like it works like, like the conscience. Uh, Paul in 1 Timothy 3 talks about people searing their conscience. You know, I, I had a person one time he came in and told me, I said, I'm just feeling so bad about. It what I had have done, and they told me, said, I've I got this terrible, horrible feeling, they told me what they had done. I said, well, <clears throat> what, uh, what, wh- what advice are you asking me? They said, well, how, how, how should I, how can I keep from feeling so bad? Now, <clears throat> please understand, I, I, I just had a little mean streak in me. <laughs> I was just, I, I, I kind of just, I, I wanted to just challenge a person. I knew the person was saying, what do I do to get rid of this sin that makes me feel bad? But that wasn't what they were saying. They were expressing themselves, how can I get to feeling better about doing this? I said, well, all you have to do is just do it again and do it again and do it again. After a while, you won't feel bad about it. He said, oh, that wasn't what I was talking about. I said, well, I knew that, but that's the way you were expressing yourself. But keep in mind, that's all you have to do. You know, if you come to church and you fight off conviction, let me tell you how to how to stop it. Just come and just keep hanging on to the pew. Don't listen to God. Don't listen to the preacher, regardless of what the preacher's saying. Just just sit there. You know what's going to happen to you after a while. You could sit through one of the most Holy Ghost filled services on this planet Earth, and it won't move you. Wouldn't touch you. That's all you have to do. You stay sensitive to God, and you say yes to God. So I told the person, I said, what you need to do is ask God to forgive you of your sin. Jesus will take all that guilt, take all that sin away. Justification, of course, according to Scripture, means that God has made you just as if you had never sinned. You keep that conscience alive. The conscience is the preacher of the soul. It's the barometer. It's the thermostat. Uh, praise God. Praise God. Well, does not even nature itself teach you? It teaches you so much about God. So, so much about God. I've had people that say, that have come and said, you folks really do get excited. Can you show me in the Bible where I'm supposed to do this? I said, supposed to do it. Wouldn't you like to be so happy that you wouldn't have to worry about what you're supposed to do? That you just do it? I remember years ago crawling over a fence and going out to the neighbor's house. This is when television first came out. The only person that I know of on our whole road that had a TV was our neighbor. They had this show called Queen for a Day. They would bring in these ladies that had all these horrible, horrible things happen to them. Now, I'm just going to build this little scenario. Here's this one lady. Her husband died. She's got three children. One of those is in the hospital right now with bad kidney. You know, needs a kidney transplant. That's probably before, before kidney transplants. But anyway, you know, I'm just making this story up. And, man, everything at our place is, is bad. I live out on the farm. The well is dry. The crops are dying. The dogs are barking all night long. The chickens won't lay. The cows don't give any milk anymore. And then all of a sudden, after all this hard time set in. <coughs> you listen to all these stories. And then the audience is supposed to, by applause, show which one will be the queen for the day. Now, they're going to make a millionaire out of this lady. They're going to solve all of her problems, cure all of her woes. Everything's going to be fine from now on. I saw one, uh, who was the host of this show? seemed like a guy by the name of Bailey, but I'm not for sure. Anybody, any of the old-timers here remember that? You remember the program, though, don't you? What was the, what was his name? Jean Bailey, all right, I was right on the Bailey part. But I'll tell you what, <clears throat> this one lady, I remember her. She was, she was not, uh, when she shopped for clothing, she did not go in the petite department. Okay, I bet mean, she was a, a good husky lady, all right. I'm here to tell you <clears throat> that when when they told her she was queen for the day, she threw up her hands. You know what she did? She ran over there and she snatched that Jean Bailey up like he was a turnip out of a patch. <clears throat> I'm serious, and she began to dance across the front. I thought she'd go to get the Holy Ghost right there. <laughs> You know, I knew a little bit about the Pentecostal church. I mean, she was weeping, she was crying, she was running back and forth, and here he was just dangling like a mop. you know. <laughs> That's what made the program excited, to see that these people were genuinely taken care of. And then, of course, to the ladies who did not win, they had all kinds of gifts, and they all stood there, weeping and crying, and some would even lift their hands as if they were going, they to. they wanted to thank God. no you see that's what happens when Jesus makes you a king and a priest for the day the bible says we are kings and priests who will serve with him forever oh hallelujah would you stand Would you just for a moment express your sincere thanks to Jesus for all He has done? Would you lift your hands and magnify Him? Would you do this without thinking about Sister So-and-So or Brother So-and-So or Pastor Grant or Sister Grant? Just you and your God. Would you tell Him what He means to you? My Jesus, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Lord, you've been so, so good to me. Oh. God, now we're going to give you an opportunity to invite Jesus into your heart. You know, you can receive the Holy Ghost today. You can repent of your sins. He will forgive you. You can be baptized in His lovely name. You can be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Our invitation simply means that you can step out from where you are and come down here to the front on both sides of the pulpit or right in front of the pulpit. We have Christian workers Throughout this building, be glad to come and pray with you and encourage you. But by all means, don't just stand there. If Jesus is talking to you, step out wherever you are. Come on down right now and give your heart to God. Who'd like to join Laura?
1: Come on, right
0: now. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Invite someone to come and pray with you. Come on, let's give our heart to God. Don't be afraid of this.